2 Kings 16. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. He didn't do that which was right in Yahweh, his God's eyes, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yes, and made his son to pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh cast out from before the children of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and burned uh, in the high places on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war. They besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and lived there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel who rose up against me. Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in Yahweh's house and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria listened to him and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried its people captive to Ker and killed Rezin. King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw the altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a drawing of the altar and plans to build it. Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it for the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. When the king had come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king came near to the altar and offered on it. He burnt his burnt offering and his meal offering, poured his drink offering, and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. The bronze altar, which was before Yahweh, he brought from the front of the house, from between his altar and Yahweh's house, and put it on the north side of his altar. King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and evening meal offering, the king's burnt offering, his meal offering, with the burnt offering of the people of the land, their meal offering and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice, but the bronze altar will be for me to inquire by. Uriah the priest did so according to all that King Ahaz commanded. King Ahaz cut off the panels of the bases and removed the basin from off them and took down the sea from off the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stone. He removed the covered way for the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry outside to Yahweh's house because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did, aren't they written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Judah? Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in David's city and Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. Now Ahaz was not a good king. Not the worst of all the kings, but he was a terrible king of Judah. And he's an interesting king. He's the 12th monarch of Judah and the 11th king, because one of them was a queen. Now, he is the famous king that, you might not think he's famous, because you may never have heard of him, but he's the king that the prophet Isaiah was talking to in chapter 7. And you will definitely have heard of this verse, 
where every Christmas we hear this verse quoted from Isaiah saying, unto us, you know, a, you know, a sign will be given. And, you know, it was, it was a sign of the virgin birth. And there's that, um, you know, she, that there would be a virgin and she would give birth to a son and this will be a sign. And that whole prophecy about the virgin birth was a prophecy from um, Isaiah the prophet to King Ahaz. Now, if you go and read Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, you can read this whole thing in context. So it's interesting how sometimes the prophecies of the Bible, they were for right then, but they were also for much later. So the word that was used for a virgin in the Hebrew language, also it had a double meaning. It also meant a young lady. It, it, so on one hand, it meant virgin, yes, a young lady that had never been married and never been with a man. On the other hand, it also just meant a young lady. It could mean both of those things. So Isaiah goes to this um, King Ahaz and says, you know, the Lord says that these certain things are going to happen concerning the king of Assyria and, and you know, and Ahaz does not believe. In fact, Isaiah goes to him and says, ask for a sign that the Lord is going to do these things. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask the Lord for a sign. And Isaiah gets really annoyed and says, <laughs> Because you didn't ask for a sign, the Lord's going to give you one anyway. And this is the sign that the virgin, except in the context, it was the young lady. The young, within a year, you know, this young lady is going to give birth to a child. And the young lady was actually the prophet Isaiah's wife. Within a year, he actually had a child. And that's the context of it. But Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he takes this verse and it becomes a prophecy about the Messiah as well. Jesus was born of a virgin. And that sign, that prophecy, was a, a prophecy that was used in two ways. And a lot of the prophecies, somehow, the Lord's so clever that he's able to use his words in multiple ways. And so King Ahaz, he's the king that first heard the prophecy of Jesus Christ being born of a virgin, and he had no idea that that's what it was all about. And that's why the Lord said, I'm giving you a sign anyway. <laughs> and um, some people have said, oh, poor Isaiah. He, uh, he prophesied and he never got to see the fulfillment of his prophecy for, for, you know, for 700 years. Well, he didn't get to see that fulfillment of his prophecy for 700 years, but he did get to see a fulfillment of his prophecy. Yep, his own son was born. And so that's, that's the immediate context of his prophecy was a sign that was being given to King Ahaz that a child was going to be born, and it was. So with Ahaz... He um, basically, um, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, but um, he basically tried to cuddle up with the nation of Assyria to, for protection. So what happened was that Assyria was this looming power in the north and they're coming down and conquering. And the two nations, you know, Judah is down at the bottom. Above Judah is Israel. And then to the side of Israel is Syria. And then above that is Assyria, or, you know, a bit over here, a bit over here. Um, and so Assyria is coming down, and um, Israel and Syria decide to attack Judah. Now, basically, I think they were trying to get Judah to be in with them, and the, all three of them to, to be a defense against this northern power, but it didn't work. And King Ahaz decides, you know, he's in threat. So he goes over the top of them to Assyria and says, here's a gift, here's some money, you attack my enemies for him. Now that's what Assyria wanted to do anyway. 
he, Assyria wanted to control all of these, so he ends up conquering Damascus, the nation of Aram, Syria, and um, that's, that problem is removed as far as Judah is concerned, but Judah is now paying tribute, it's paying money to the Assyrians, so they've effectively conquered Judah as well. So even though they're still ruling and they still have their own king, they're now kind of like a sub-kingdom. You know, they've got to keep paying money to Assyria for their safety. It's a protection racket. And in this chapter, it says that King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet with Tiglath-Pileser. And it says when he was there, he saw an altar. And he had the design and the plans, and he sent them back to Uriah the priest to draw it. So he ends up changing up how the worship of God happens, and he actually starts worshipping Assyrian gods. It doesn't say it quite so clearly here in this chapter, but he starts to worship the Assyrian gods. Now you'd have to say, why did he do that? Well, there are two reasons. Number one was that all around the ancient world there was this idea that whichever nation was the strongest, you should follow their gods. Because obviously, you know, they think obviously they're the strongest because their gods are the strongest. So follow their gods and get them on your side. So that's one reason why Ahaz thinks, oh, they're conquering everything. I should follow their gods. But some of the commentators pointed out too that the king of Assyria seemed to have required it as part of the protection system. So in, in other words, like I'm protecting you and keeping you safe and you must worship my gods. So Ahaz is someone who feels pressured that he has to follow their gods for his own personal safety. So he gives up his own convictions and they may not have been very strong anyway. And he follows the Assyrian gods and he starts worshiping these other gods. And so, and we don't even have all the information here, but in the book of Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles 28, it, it describes how King Ahaz shut the temple of the Lord and he stopped the worship of the Lord. And um, so he's, there's a whole process of him doing terrible, terrible things. And this chapter described how he sent back plans for a new altar. And he told the priests that there's a new way we're going to worship now. And you're going to do it this way. And, and he took the base off the bronze stand that was there from the time of Solomon. And he started changing things. And the priests just complied. So there's conviction has gone out the window. And it says in here... Um, in describing what Ahaz did, it says that he sacrificed in the high places. He even sent his own, put his own son, made his own son to pass through the fire, which is a, a phrase that means he killed his own son to worship another god. And um, it says he. Let me read to you actually from Jeremiah chapter three verse six. So it's Jeremiah comes just a little bit after this. But Jeremiah is looking back and he's prophesying and, and he's saying what the Lord would say about all the things that have happened. And this is what the Lord said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. Um, it said that Israel had played the harlot under every spreading tree. And um, this is the same language that's used right here in this chapter for Ahaz, playing the harlot under every spreading tree. It says that, you know, Israel, Judah worshiped under every spreading tree. So things were getting so bad that he he basically, what Ahaz did here was what Ahab did in the north. You know, they used to worship in the high places, which was kind of like worshiping God, but in your own way. But I, this king Ahaz, he now takes on the other religions and makes it a real official thing. 
and he feels like he probably has to because the king of Assyria wants it. So he puts his own life and he puts his own safety above his convictions and above what the Lord wants. And um, so he's basically pressured by external pressures into turning away from God. And um, sometimes that happens to us too. It's not doesn't always seem like a life and death thing at the time, but people feel pressured, you know, by their friends at school or by business associates, or you know, you might be at university and you might be, you know, you're feeling like you can't talk about the Lord and you've got to be academic and you've got to keep God out of it. And so, you know, there's a, there are time and a place for things, but sometimes people feel pressured and they don't stand up for their convictions, and that's what Ahaz was doing. And he ended up leading his whole entire nation away. And if you do that, you you will quite likely lead your whole family away from the Lord. And this is all very, very contrasting because the very next king, which we'll get to soon, King Hezekiah does the complete opposite. And the Bible says he's someone who trusted the Lord and he had to. <laughs> because he had to he had to basically turn against the king of Assyria and knowing there were going to be repercussions. He had to put his trust in the Lord and it paid off. And we're going to get to that. But I think the big lesson that we can learn from Ahaz is that he felt pressured by, by forces around him. And because of that pressure, he turned away from the Lord. And it's a terrible, terrible trap and very easy to do. Heavenly Father, we're so sorry for Ahaz. And I ask that you keep us from this type of thing ourselves. Lord, it's so easy to feel pressure from those around us to act a certain way or to be a certain way. Forgive us, Lord, that often we give in to pressures like that. But Father, give us the faith of Hezekiah that we haven't talked about yet. Lord, let your grace be upon us. Help us to be people who live with no compromise. Lord, let your blessing be upon your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.